0: Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. In this session, we're going to take the journey from discovery to modern day common usage of one of the most common medications used worldwide across obstetrical units. Yes, we're talking about synthetic oxytocin or pitocin. So grab a pen, sit back, and let's get started on the oxytocin journey. I know I've said this before, but usually our podcast ideas come from real-life events. Recently, while on call, we had the tragic and devastating occurrence of an 18-week fetal demise. After the child delivered, one of the labor and delivery healthcare providers asked at what rate the IV pitocin should run. I quickly answered at zero, because pitocin receptors are not present at an 18-week pregnancy. It was from that occurrence that the idea for this episode came to be. All right, let's start our review by covering the origins of synthetic oxytocin. Oxytocin was discovered in 1909 when Sir Henry Dale found that an extract from the human posterior pituitary gland helped contract the uterus of a pregnant cat. Yeah, I said a pregnant cat. But he later found out that the hormone was found unchanged, actually, in every mammalian species. Dale named the unknown substance oxytocin, using the Greek words for quick and the Greek word for birth. Oxy implies quick or sudden or sharp, and tocin comes from the Greek meaning to deliver or to birth. As early as 1911, remember that's just two years after his discovery, physicians began using the pituitary gland extract to help stimulate childbirth contractions. Dale subsequently found that the same extract helped facilitate the release of mother's milk. Remember that oxytocin also contracts the smooth muscle cells around the mammary gland in order to help the milk letdown process. About 50 years later, the biochemist Vincent de Vigneux took up the potent pituitary substance. Now, throughout his career, de Vigneux studied how structure relates to function in biologically important compounds, and he set to define oxytocin's physical structure. And by 1953, he had already identified the nine amino acids, set them in the right order and handedness, and discovered the biologically important disulfide. Bond that helps create the true structure of oxytocin. Now, to be sure that he had it right, Davinu synthesized the compound, and this was the first synthesis of any peptide hormone. His work resulted in a Nobel Prize in Chemistry for its creation in 1955. Synthetic oxytocin, now called pitocin, was born. Uh, no pun intended. Oxytocin is now the most commonly used drug across obstetrical units worldwide. Currently, it is listed as a high-alert medication by the U.S. FDA – Thankfully, however, complications from its use, although they do occur, are overall still relatively rare. Potential issues, some of which we'll discuss in this podcast, especially at high dosages and with prolonged use, include hypotension, water intoxication, and of course, uterine tachysystole. All right, when we come back, let's take a look at the mechanism of action of synthetic oxytocin. Pitocin binds to oxytocin receptors in the myometrium, increasing intracellular calcium and stimulating uterine contractions. Oxytocin has a plasma half-life of 1 to 6 minutes, which is decreased in late pregnancy. Steady state following IV administration is usually achieved in plasma by 30 to 40 minutes. Recent studies have indicated that oxytocin is involved in cognition, tolerance, adaptation, and complex sexual and maternal behaviors, as well as in the regulation of cardiovascular functions. Again, we'll cover the cardiovascular effects, namely hypotension, a little bit later in this episode. Pitocin receptors are found in the myometrial layer of the uterus. The concentrations of uterine Pitocin receptors has been well studied based on gestational age. While almost non-existent in the second trimester, receptors begin to appear and increase from 24 weeks of gestation onward with a sharp increase after 32 weeks becoming maximal after 36 weeks. The ACOG Practice Bulletin, number 135, addresses management of second trimester pregnancy loss, specifically addressing the limited function of oxytocin or pitocin in the second trimester. The medical agents preferred for induction of delivery in the second trimester include high-dose misoprostol, either alone or preceded by mifepristone, administered anywhere from 24 to 48 hours prior to the misoprostol. Now, if misoprostol is not available, ACOG does state that high-dose oxytocin that's 20, to 100 units infused IV over 3 hours, can be used. However, this should be followed by a 1-hour washout in order to allow diuresis. Oxytocin dosages may be slowly increased to a maximum of 300 units over 3 hours if necessary and only if misoprostol is not available. ACOG states that high-dose oxytocin in the second trimester is not commonly used because of the inefficient response of the uterus to oxytocin. In fact, there's a real potential for crossover into ADH-type effects at these early gestational ages and at these high dosages. All right, I got to stop here for just a moment and relay another story about an occurrence that happened about two weeks ago, again on call. We were called in the middle of the night to perform an urgent OB suction DNC for a patient with an incomplete abortion who was having heavy active bleeding and was becoming hypotensive. After her DNC was successfully completed, somebody in the room again asked if Pitocin was ready to be administered. Now, that was a great opportunity to have a learning experience at 3 in the morning. Because if Pitocin has no role or a very limited role in the second trimester, it surely doesn't have a role to control bleeding in the first trimester. IV or IM Pitocin to control bleeding has no role for bleeding control in the first trimester. Bleeding that occurs with spontaneous passage of tissue in the first trimester or at time of suction DNC should be evaluated for the presence of retained products or if surgical evacuation was done for a uterine perforation. If medications are necessary for the control of bleeding in the first trimester, prostaglandin agents should be given or methergine, as long as a patient's blood pressure allows. All right, when we come back, let's talk about the potential effects that pitocin has on a patient's blood pressure. As we wrap up the podcast, a quick word about the potential interaction of pitocin with the patient's blood pressure. Oxytocin may actually cause a sustained decrease in blood pressure without affecting the heart rate. Now, this effect is largely due to direct bolus injections that are given IV. Severe hypotension is much less likely when Pitocin is diluted and given as an IV solution or when it's given as an IM injection. Now, although hypertensive responses to pitocin have been reported, the much more likely consequence of large volume or direct IV injection is a hypotensive response. Now, it has long been known that oxytocin induces natriuresis that can also result in hyponatremia. This also results in a fall in mean arterial pressure, both after acute and chronic treatment with IV pitocin. Research has also confirmed that locally produced oxytocin may have important regulatory functions within the heart and the vascular beds. Such functions may include slowing down of the heart rate or may affect, again, local vascular tone. So it's important to never give pitocin as direct volume IV push because of the detrimental effect on patient's blood pressure, with the result being severe hypotensive response. Alright, that wraps up our quick review of synthetic oxytocin, pitocin, and its use in obstetrics. Since 1909, when it was first discovered by Henry Dale, up until 1958, when it was FDA approved, pitocin is widely used and will continue to be widely used across labor and delivery units. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.